Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Is God the Father greater than God the Son? That is the question that we will ask on this episode of Word Matters. I am Brandon Smith, the spokesperson for the CSB, alongside uh, my co-host, Trevin Wax, Bible publisher uh, here at BNH. And uh, today we have Dr. Fred Sanders, who is a professor of theology at the Tories Honors Institute at Biola University. Uh, he's the author of numerous books, uh, including The Deep Things of God, How the Trinity Changes Everything, uh, co-editor of Jesus and Trinitarian Perspective uh, here at BNH, and uh, has a new book that, that just released, um, The Triune God. Uh, which I had the pleasure of reading uh, an early copy of, and it's just a really, really good book. Fred is one of the uh, premier uh, Trinitarian scholars in the world, and so we are really thankful to have him on. So thanks for being with us, Fred. Glad to be here. So the text that we're looking at um, in asking this question, is God the Father greater than God the Son, is John fourteen twenty eight, and I'm going to... Um, to read that in a few verses right after that in the CSB, and then we'll we'll kick off our discussion. Um, John fourteen twenty eight starts this way: If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer, because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. So you have Jesus there speaking to his disciples in the, the, the quote that we're going to look at most. Uh, if you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. Yeah, and Fred, we, we recently had uh, Scott Swain on toward the end of, of our last season, and we kind of discussed a similar passage in John 5 where uh, Jesus says, I can do nothing apart from the Father. So th- these type of statements always raise questions, uh, obviously, on a scholarly level and even for your average person in the pew about how does Jesus relate to the Father. If Jesus is God— and the Father is God, but then Jesus is a man, and then he relates to the Father, and he submits to the Father, but then he's God. There's all these questions, obviously, that come up uh, just for anybody who's reading. Um, so so maybe to, to kind of kick this thing off, maybe you could give us a very, very simple, you know, uh, one paragraph, a uh, couple sentence definition of the Trinity uh, and the Father, Son, and Spirit, maybe just to give us a little bit of a context for this. Yeah, yeah. So the basic doctrinal statement of the Christian doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one God who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. That is, one being in three persons. Um, and, and the reason we say that, which a lot of what I just said there is not directly biblical language, though you can prove any aspect of it from Scripture, um, but we put that together in really trying to answer questions exactly like the one we're looking at in John's Gospel here, which is, it seems like it's not just that God came to us, it's that God sent God. Hmm. And as you start thinking about that, and well, how did God send God? A sender is less than, uh, the sent one is less than the sender usually, right? I mean, the one who sends has authority over the one they send. But then the one who was sent turns out to be fully divine, according to the same book that tells us that God sent God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of, you can only go around that circle so many times before you get kind of worn out. <laughs> And decide, uh, I think the the way to state this sort of in a stable way is that the Father and the Son are equal, but are not each other. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah, yeah I've, I've, uh, it's interesting. I, I think uh, Barrett takes the, the approach you just mentioned there about the, um, 
I'm going back to the Father, the one who sins is greater in this context, even though both of them are equally divine. And and we shouldn't take this verse out of context. You know, a lot of modern day uh, Arians will will really lift up this verse without taking into consideration a number of other passages in John that talk about Jesus being equal with God. So you've got John 1.1, 1, 1, John 1, 18, John 5, 16 through 18, John 10, 30, John 20, 28. I mean, there's a lot of um, other passages of scripture that talk about uh, Jesus in ways that that show how um, uh, what what his significance is, what his his state is as the the second person of the Trinity. The the basis for our view of the Trinity uh, can be made from the Gospel of John. Um, so so that leads up to questions like this. It why then does Jesus say the Father is greater than I? Do you is your take on this that his the rationale for this statement is basically saying the Father is greater than I, being the the one that he's the one who sent, and so the one who sends in this context in that function anyway is greater than the one who is sent. Yeah, I think that's right. So John um, John's Gospel is a it's an amazing you know it's an amazing piece of work, and there are sentences in it that stand out and just sort of glow with this. Wow, that's an amazing statement of God that can be meditated on out of context. Sure. Uh, the I am statements, of course, you know, just emerge and kind of glow on the surface of the text. But they work even better in context. Mm-hmm. And certainly here, if you just look around at the immediate verse, what Jesus is talking about throughout this chapter um, and underlines again in this verse is his going away to the Father and why that's not a bad thing. And it's in posing that question that he says, Oh, you might think it's a bad thing that I'm going away, but here's why it's not bad: because the Father is greater than I. Um, and that, so that puts you in the in the context of this entire chapter that starts with, "I'm going away," and then he says, uh, "I'm," but I'm coming to you. And then in this verse, he says, "You're probably wondering why I said I'm going away, and yet I'm coming to you." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his answer is, "The Father is greater than I." Um, so it's very much a missional or agency or sending kind of a context. I, I can I read one one thing that I, I looked up I saw um what, what one of DA Carson's comments on this put trying to put this statement mm-hmm. in context he says um, if Jesus's disciples truly loved him they would be glad that he is returning to the father for he is returning to the sphere where he belongs to the glory he had with the father before the world began to the place where the father is in is undiminished in glory unquestionably greater than the son in his incarnate state so so Carson takes the the, the missional side that, that you've said, but he, there's a little bit of a, a nuance there in that when he's speaking of the Father and his greatness uh, in this passage, he's talking about uh, the the difference between the the Father's um, demonstrated greatness versus the Son's um, willingness to take on humanity in his incarnate state, saying that the, 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 the greatness of God is on display differently in, in those two contexts, although there would never be a, a question of them both ultimately being equal in essence. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And with the the standard Arian mistake, and this happened in the 4th century, and, and this happens now, is to um, take that statement out of all of those considerations uh, and just take it as a statement about the essence or the being of the Son, as if Jesus were saying here, never mind all the claims to divine equality that I've made throughout <laughs> this entire gospel. Suddenly I have new revelation for you, that I am ontologically inferior to the Father. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was, well, wow, that's a lot of that's a lot of load to put on those words. Mm-hmm. And it would contradict a lot of what we've seen in the Gospel of John. Yeah, I think that's right. Is it? Um, 
uh, I read a book not too long ago, I think it was by Paul Anderson, about the uh, the way the Gospel of John, the way Jesus and the Gospel of John will constantly make very high claims for himself, right directly beside claims of the way in which he relates to the Father. Um, so normally the Bible will say, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. I think only in John does Jesus say, I lay my life down and I will take mm. it up again. Right. For he posits himself as the agent of his own resurrection. Um, you know, which is that's a minority way of putting it in the Bible. Right. <laughs> it's, it's normally God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Mm-hmm. But right there, where Jesus sort of um, takes the credit for taking up his own life again, he says, "Comma, I received this authority from the Father." Right. And then there's there's uh, uh, so it, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, just in in John's Gospel, you've got to deal with that um, high claim of equality that's always placed directly in juxtaposition with a relation to the Father. Yeah, that's good. Um, so how do we how do we tie this in then? So so we're talking about this. There might be people listening who are saying, "Okay, I get it." There's they sound contradictory, but they're not contradictory. Um, I, I kind of I kind of get what's going on, but but how do we explain this in context of other verses and obviously the epistles, Philippians two, uh, Colossians one, some of these others where it does appear that Jesus both says. Uh, the Father's greater than I. I can do nothing apart from Him. You know, He has sent me. Those kind of things, and then this idea of Jesus basically taking on those roles for Himself, like you said, uh, He's raising Himself from the dead, or He created. You know, all things were created by Him and through Him. Um, those kind of things. How do we tie those together? What's What's some ways that we can kind of practically give people to say, okay, I get it. The Bible's not contradictory, but what does that actually mean? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So the simple. Um you could go one of two ways here. If you've got a taste for paradox, you could really lean into it and uh, just feel the sort of exciting vibration of these paradoxical statements. Right? That, that, they're, that they're sounds not, like uh, something G.K. Chesterton would say, which makes me really like you as a scholar. Yeah, so, well yeah. done. Well done. Well, thanks. If you look at the beginning of 1428, Jesus says in cold print, I am going away and I am coming to you. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm not saying Jesus is Chestertonian. <laughs> but he, he puts those um, he puts those things directly in relation to each other, just right. cheek by jowl. I'm going away, and I'm coming. Uh, one commentator has said the theme of John 14 is that Jesus is going away, is Jesus is coming. Hmm. So if you have a taste for paradox, lean into that, and it works really well. If you'd rather sort of smooth things out, because a paradox is not a contradiction. This is hmm. not a this is not a matter of things that logically contradict each other and cannot be both affirmed. So you could smooth it out, and the smooth reading would be um, that Jesus is equal to the Father in essence and distinct from the Father in person, and that distinction um, has an order to it. And we have to carefully avoid all words like subordination or eternal submission or things like that. Um, Nevertheless, the Father is the Father and the Son is the Son, and so if you want to talk about that ordered relation between Father and Son— there are categories you can get from the Gospel of John, like the, the Son is eternally from the Father. He's eternally begotten, would be the traditional language. Yeah, so, so In the, other words, you could, get your, you could get your triangular trinity diagram that affirms the Father is God and the Son is God, and that's your point of equality. But you work around the perimeter of that diagram, the Father is not the Son. In fact, the Son is from the Father. So one of the things we'd like to do is talk about how we would preach or teach this text as we as we wrap up a conversation. Um, and I, uh, I, the way I, so I think there is a place 
for smoothing it out, like you just mentioned, yeah. where you're you're actually doing some a deeper dive into the the um, systematic theology and the categories that we have of Trinitarian theology, um, avoiding some of the missteps that you mentioned, but then also um, showing how how this relationship works. In preaching, I would lean toward the paradox. I would I would want people to to grasp the beauty of the paradoxical side of these statements juxtaposed within this context of there being a paradox, like you said, for all of John 14. Uh, because for me, I in, in my own preaching and teaching ministry, I want people to capture enough of the beauty of the text, the the some of the paradoxical aspects within the text that they're intrigued further and want to dig deeper. And then in a different context, would would I take them to, um, you know, some of the intricacies of Trinitarian theology and, and smooth out? That, that's what I would do. I don't know. Brandon, how, how what, what would you do with this text? Yeah, I'm probably, I'm probably kind of in between because uh, I've told, I told a story really early on in this podcast about um, basically a woman in my church who was a functional Aryan. And part of the reason why is because she had not ever been taught or explained kind of how this all works. So she would read a text like this and unless somebody had done it, even a, a pastor had somehow given some handles on this, she may not have understood it. Now it doesn't mean that maybe she was taught and didn't understand it, or she never listened to the, to the pastor preaching. But I think, I think there's a place I agree with you. I think there's definitely the place of, Hey, let's make sure that we are, awe, we're in awe of God. We're in awe of what Christ has done for us. We see that mission and the love of the father through the son and those kind of things. But I'd always want to try to find a way. How can I, make sure I give a little bit, maybe even five minutes of kind of a handle on what does this mean eternally, systematically, theologically, so that I don't have somebody in my church, uh, like I described before saying, oh, it's because Jesus was created by God. Right. Yeah. So. And I, and I love your, I love the the heart of that and the, the wanting to, to have a theologically informed. Was that like a bless your heart or like you actually love my heart behind that? <laughs> no, <laughs> I really, no, no, I wasn't saying bless your heart. I know. I just, I, but I, but as a, as a preacher, I, I try to be careful I mean, John didn't feel the need to do that when he gave us his gospel. So I feel right. I feel this tension yeah. of part of me wants to do the same thing, and then the other part of me wants to be like, okay, there must be another. Is the preaching moment the setting for that or not? And yeah. I and I can go I can go both ways. If I had a situation where I've got a problem in my congregation, I think I would do. Yeah. I would do that. And you're right. Maybe we have that problem more than we think. Yeah, Fred. You know? What do you think? Yeah, I you know one time I preached on the passage in John, um, uh, as the Father sent me, so I send you, mm-hmm. and I intended to you know agree with Jesus and say what He was saying, <laughs> but I found myself having to make a bunch of negative statements like, well, it's not that Jesus sends us into the world exactly like the Father sends the Son, like we're not co-eternally co-equal with the one who sends us, <laughs> and and when I was making about my seventh negative statement, <laughs> I had a funny feeling. That I wasn't deeply disagreeing with Jesus, but I was. He said something positive, and I kept saying negative things. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and so I wouldn't want to do that here. The the gist of the passage clearly leans into paradox. I'm going away, and I'm coming to you. The Father is greater than I. Um, I, I would want if I have a 25 minute sermon. Think of it in amount of in, time, in terms of air time. <laughs> I would want 20 minutes of it to be going in the same direction with the same energy that Jesus is putting into this. Um, so I would be serving the text and its overall momentum. Yeah. Um, but I might even for five minutes walk to another part of the platform and make theological statements about there are ways to misunderstand this, and you may have heard it said this way. But I say to you, Fred Sanders. <laughs> that's yeah, good. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. hey, thanks for so much for jumping on with us. I think this was really helpful. There's, I mean, there's so much we could do, and we could do this for three hours probably and still be 
uh, trying to figure it out. But I think this is a, is a good kind of intro to it. So uh, thanks so much for being helpful and for hopping on with us. All right. Good to talk to you. All right. And thanks, Trevin, as always, for co-hosting. And thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages, but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.